let's turn and think a little bit from scripture about our subject which is the glory of Jesus let's pray help us Lord to meditate in your word and as you have promised that the people who do that uh, who and who live it will be like trees planted by streams of water with roots going down and not withering but bearing fruit in due season we pray that you would make good on that promise uh, as uh, as far as our time together this evening for Jesus sake Amen Amen well that's what I thought we would do to, um, to have a think about the glory of Jesus which seems to me to be a good activity in itself I don't think we have to justify it and say this leads to church growth or an increase in church funds and that's why we're doing it or something like that we're just saying it's good to think about the glory of Jesus just try and focus that a tiny bit it's a good activity in itself so we were, uh, John 17 was what we looked at this morning. Might like to open up at John's Gospel. We'll take a few references as we go through. It was about glory, wasn't it? It was um, Jesus saying, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And then in verse 5, now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world was. A little bit of a question about uh, bit of translation there and there was also a bit of question about the the now in verse 3 um, actually it make it, I, I think it makes us think quite a bit about the glory of Jesus uh, is his glory always the same is his glory more shown in some things than others um, just to, uh, as I was thinking about it, it I think it's useful to make a distinction the theologians make this distinction between the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus uh, the person of Jesus is who Jesus was and is and his work is the things that he did and does so he is always the eternal son of God his person in that sense doesn't change although he hasn't always been human flesh has he the word became flesh so there's some link up there his person is we're told that his person Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever there is no um, there's now no change in the person of Jesus the work of course is something that you can say has different stages so there was a time when he became flesh there was a time when he did miracles there was a time when he died on the cross there was a time when he rose from the dead there was a time when he was seated in the right, the right hand and he will come again so that is all uh, on a, a moving scale if you see what I mean and I think we might possibly have the idea that there's a glory that pertains to Jesus' person which of course is sort of that's who he is and that there's a glory that pertains to his work which we might say you know there, there is a particular glory in this or a particular way that he's glorified in that um, another thought that came to mind is that the New Testament often speaks of Jesus glory 
And I'm not quite sure whether this is true because I haven't done all the homework on this. It often speaks of Jesus' glory, that's my, what I think is correct, as being something that follows that career, if you like, cross, resurrection, ascension, his seating in heaven, and indeed his future coming, and it tends to use the, the idea of his glory for this part, his glorification, we sometimes speak about that, the humiliation of Christ is coming down and is lifting up, his glorification. And of course, that, also the future glory is part of that. Let's look at some texts and see whether they do speak in that way. So let's look in Luke's Gospel, 21-27. Luke's Gospel, 21-27. Luke's Gospel 21, 27 and 28. <coughs> Luke 21, 27 and 28. So Maria, could you read that to us please? Luke's Gospel 21, verses 27 and 28. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So glory there, uh, attaching to the coming of Jesus. At that time, talking of his coming, you'll see him coming with a cloud and great glory. So glory sort of at that end of the timeline. Luke 24, 26. Luke 24, 26. Or if we take 25 and 26, Luke 24, verses 25 and 26. Ray, please, could you read that for us? He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Thank you very much. So that, that seems to fit that pattern that uh, he's saying, this is Jesus himself speaking of his death and saying this is his suffering and this is like the gateway. He goes through this and then enters his glory. So again, that, that sort of fits that pattern, doesn't it? His, whether we include resurrection, ascension, his seating in heaven, uh, that's the suffering, the cross, and then enters his glory. So that would fit that. And Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2. Hmm. 
Hebrews 2. Now verse 7 is a quote from the psalm. Just temporarily escape my mind what number it is. It's Psalm 8, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and, the, and the, the quote is... No, the psalm is quoted as referring to Jesus. So this is Hebrews chapter 2. And if we just go from inputting everything under him and read that in verse 9. Uh, Brenda, please could you read that to us, inputting everything under him and then verse 9 as well, Hebrews 2. Uh, well, it's the latter part of verse 8 and then verse 9. Thank you very much. I think the same pattern is there, isn't it? That Jesus was made low, uh, a little lower than the angels, and he's now crowned with glory and honour. He suffered death and then uh, was crowned with glory and honour. So I think it, it seems to put the, the glory at, at that end of things. So that's, the Bible does speak in those terms. I'm not sure that I've got the very best texts to show that but I think those texts do that show us that sort of thing but you see John I don't know whether you noticed this that John was speaking in a different way this morning or at least that's what I was trying to that was my understanding of it he was being uh, I don't know what we would say I don't know whether we could say John's being subversive uh, he's he's telling he's putting it in a light that we would not perhaps have thought of, do you see? Uh, because, turning to John 17, the point that seemed to me to be made was this matter of being time critical. So Jesus prays this prayer at a certain time. John 17, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. And you remember I said that uh, throughout John's Gospel, the time doesn't come, the time isn't yet, and now the time is here. And what time is it? It's the time that he's going to go to the cross. Now, there's lots of events associated with the cross, but that's the particular focus of it. And it's at this point that Jesus says, Glorify your Son. And uh, the, John, uh, this isn't in contradiction to what the rest of the scripture says, but it's a particular John type of way of looking at things. That in his death on the cross, there is glory. Uh, do, and see verse 5. And now, Father. I'm sure that is time critical. That's, uh, the use of the word now in John's gospel is actually quite precise. Now glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world was. Uh, now is the time, uh, as we view the cross, that, this is the time that I'm asking and praying this prayer, that there will be the glory of the presence of the Father as we consider the cross. 
That was what, that was what struck me as being the remarkable thing. Uh, the in your presence, you might think, well, he's talking about the ascension. And I did do homework on that, and it is not clear that, it, that in your presence means in heaven, because the, the word that says in couldn't be by or with. Uh, it's, it's much looser than that. So glorify me with your presence. Glorify me with the glory that comes from your presence. But you see, it's the now that you, I can't get away from. Now do it. Not in no, no, several steps down the line, but now, as we view the cross. So I thought we would just have a little look at some other verses, and then we're done. Let's look at what John says about glory in John 2:11. So we're thinking about the glory of Jesus, and there's lots of. It's not a simple and straightforward subject, actually. There's quite a lot to it. I don't want to mystify you or bore you, but I would like to try and show something of the angles on it. John has several angles on Jesus' glory. John 2, 11. John 2, 11. Mike, please could you read us John chapter 2, verse 11. Thank you. This is a story of the wedding feast at uh, Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns water into wine. And the more you think about it, the more, what shall I say, the more interesting, the more wonderful it is. What does the story say? The story says that there was this wedding feast. Uh, they ran out of wine. Jesus miraculously produced uh, wine out of water. It was served to the guests. And their response was... This is amazing catering. We don't usually do catering like this. Usually the caterers, uh, what do they say, usually bring out the, uh, the best wine at the beginning. When everybody's a little bit tipsy, then it becomes, you know, the Asda's uh, bulk buy wine. And uh, he says, you're doing it the other way around. You've, you've, you've saved the best to last. Uh, just amazing catering. And many people at that wedding, that was what they thought. Ah. Oh. The catering that they did, the Jacobsons got to hand it to them. Um, and, but do you see what John says? He says, actually what was happening was Jesus was revealing his glory. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. It's an interesting comment, isn't it? Because half the people there saw nothing apart from a bizarre catering strategy. But the, the disciples said, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. There was something going on there. That wasn't just to do with catering. There was something going on there that was glory. I'm not going to sort of try and go into it all, but do you see this? It says something about Jesus' glory, that it is simultaneously revealed and hidden. Some people saw it, and other people saw nothing at all. That's the way his glory is. Uh, I think in John's Gospel, I think he gives us this, 
this story as, as really a, a sort of a, a pattern, a, a template of the way Jesus is operating all the way through. He does things, some people say, you know, uh, great catering. Um, the woman at the well says this is going to be a great way to get uh, water. I won't have to keep on coming to this well to get water. The people uh, say, well, when he feeds the 5,000, ever give us this bread, this is a great way to get bread. Uh, and they don't see the glory at all. Well, the woman at the well does in a minute. But it's hidden, you see. But to other people they say, wait a minute. That's glory. That's the way it is with the Lord Jesus, isn't it? You, you can witness to people. You can, um, I suppose you can preach. You can hand out leaflets. and Many people just see a bunch of idiots, um, fanatics, something that you put into the bin straight away. But other people, hold on. This is glory. So Jesus' glory is revealed and hidden. I'll just offer that as a thought uh, that John would uh, bring to us. John chapter 1 verse 14. John chapter 1 verse 14. Uh, I put here as a summary, to see who he really is, to see his glory, is no small part of eternal life. So John chapter 1 verse 14. Mark. Could you read that to us, please? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so this is the beginning, thank you, Mark. This is at the beginning of John's Gospel, and he's almost saying, This is where we've got to with this. This is where we're at with it. Jesus sort of summarized the whole thing. Bottom line, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, he says, and, and, and this is our mature conclusion. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. The glory of the only begotten. The glory of God's only Son. Who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I think he's saying this isn't sort of a means to an end. This is a, a terminus. You know, you, we've arrived. When we've seen, when we've looked into the face of Jesus and seen the glory of God, we've arrived at something. It's no small part of eternal life to see who he really is and to see his glory. And they're saying, he came, and you know what? We looked at him and we saw his glory. We saw the glory of the only Son of the Father and we saw him and that's who he is and praise his name and isn't he wonderful and isn't that amazing. There he is, the Lord Jesus, as Paul would put it, I think, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what I'm, I'm just sort of throwing out thoughts on this, but... but It's no small part of eternal life to see that. You know, if your eyes have been opened, that's what you see. If you've been given a new heart, that's what your heart responds to. Uh, to see, you know, once I looked at Jesus and I thought, bah. but now I look at him and I say, there's the glory of God. 
Let's have another look at this from another John point of view in chapter 8. Now we might have an issue with translation here. Let's just see. Yeah. Um, Okay, John chapter 8. Middle of controversy. Lots of different things that are contradictory to Jesus, lots of opposition going on. Uh, So you get it in chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? You're a a disreputable evildoer, actually. And Jesus says in verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon, but, now then, The NIV says, I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. That'll do. I am not seeking glory for myself. Interesting, isn't it? It seems to be Jesus expressing a statement of principle. I honour my father and give glory to him. I am not seeking glory for myself. And you might say, well, hold on, because this morning you said Jesus prayed for glory for himself. And he did, didn't he? Isn't that what it says in John 17? Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Uh, John 17, verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me. Isn't that Jesus seeking glory for himself let's look at chapter 8 verse 54 Uh, Jesus saying if I glorify myself my glory means nothing my father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me though do though no I don't know whether we're going to go the right way here though you do not know him I know him if I said I did not you would be a liar I would be a liar like you but I do know him and keep his word it's not the verse I thought it was Um, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. I think Jesus is on that same line. There's a sense in which he isn't self-centred. His motive is not to seek glory for himself. And there is a verse, and I thought that was the one I'd written down, but it obviously isn't, where he says, you know, your problem as... Pharisees, is you seek, you seek glory from one another. But I seek, I'm not trying to get glory for myself. Um, so the way I've put it, now see what you think about this. Jesus' desire is for his Father's glory and for his own glory in a way which is dependent and mutual. So I've put it in an awkward sentence. Jesus' desire is for his Father's glory and his own glory dependently and mutually. Do you think that's right? How would you square those two verses? I don't seek glory for myself and Father glorify me so that your son may glorify you. How would you square those two verses? That's not a rhetorical question, it's a real question. Any thoughts? Steve? Mm. Mm. 
if we said honour, acclaim, recognition, praise? Would that would that help? If it, I mean, something like that, isn't it? Uh, yes, Gre- Gre- uh, Hebrew is to do with weightiness. Yes, kabod, it's weightiness. Yeah, does that help us? Yeah, I think I think there's some. I think there's that's an important point. Jesus doesn't ask for himself to be glorified independently. He doesn't say, I want to be glorified no matter what happens to the Father. He says, he's always linking it together, isn't he? He's saying, uh, so if we go to John 17, glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Do something for me so that it will actually turn to the glory of the Father. And in John 17 verses 4 and 5 are not a million miles from that. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do and now Father glorify me with your own presence um, with the glory that I had with you before the world was it's not an independent thing is it it's there's a sort of mutuality about it and Jesus isn't sort of grabbing at glory he's saying Father will you will you grant this to me that I may in turn uh, reflect it back to you. It seems to be the sort of way it's doing, isn't it? Does that make any sort of sense? I do. It is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually quite a profound thing. That you know, if you say, "What's the truth behind this universe?" It's relationship. It's God. Mm-hmm. It's a God who. Uh, as we were saying this morning, is gives and a God who in Father and Son uh, seeks glory for the other, as it were. I think there's relationship. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. To, to live lives that are to the glory of God is profoundly the way the Bible puts it. Um, yeah, Steve was going to say. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. In a sense, 
Yes, and, uh, I mean, if, even the catechism way of putting it, it isn't that humankind... Uh, um, no. Well, what it is, is that humankind glorifies God and enjoys him. So there's something going on in, in two directions in the relationship way. Well, let's leave, uh, leave that thought. Perhaps that's getting us into deep water. Uh, I think John's Gospel does speak in the way that we talked about before of Jesus' future glory. Now then, have I got these verses right? 12.16. I think this one will stand up. 12.16, John 12.16. So this is about the triumphal entry. And it says you know, that Jesus is coming in on the donkey. And in John 12:16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all this. So they saw what Jesus did, and they thought, Oh, not really quite sure what was going on, what was all that about. And then it says, Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So I think that most natural way of understanding that is, is where we had, you know, after his resurrection, ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit, they said, now we understand. After Jesus is glorified, we look back and we see what was going on there after he was glorified. And chapter 7, verse 39, I think works in much the same way. John 7, this is Jesus on the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last and greatest day of the feast, uh, there was lights and water pouring at that, uh, at that Jewish festival, so I understand. And Jesus um, stands and says in a loud voice, it would be interesting to imagine him addressing a whole crowd of people uh, in this loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He says that. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it talks about Jesus being glorified, and I think it would fit with the idea of his glorification being his resurrection, his ascension, um, and his seating at the right hand of the throne of God. And after all that, then the Spirit is given on the, on the day of Pentecost. Um, having seated, seated at the right hand of God, he has received this, uh, the gift of the Father, and poured out what, what you now see and hear. So that, uh, Jesus' glorification. And yet, and yet, come back to what we said this morning, there is, I think, this quite subversive and surprising emphasis on the cross as the particular place of God's glory. John 12, verse 20. John 12, verse 20. <clears throat> now there were some Greeks among them who had come up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We would like to see him. We're Greeks. We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. 
and Jesus observes, ah, oh, there's somebody wanting to try and see the Lord, not a, not a Jew, a Greek. And strangely, Jesus seems to pick up on this and say, aha, I detect a, 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 um, you know, a change in the tide here. I detect a sign of the times here. All the way through, Jesus has been saying, the hour hasn't yet come, the hour hasn't yet come. And then he suddenly says, oh, these Greeks are inquiring. This is it. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now is my heart troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the judgment on this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. It's all about his death, isn't it? And it's at this point, amazingly, that the vocabulary of glory is used. This is the point at which in a particular way, not the only way, but in a particular way, God is glorified. As Jesus dies on the cross, as he wears the crown of thorns, as he is impaled on the wood, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sun refuses to shine, as it seems that God has forsaken him and God is completely absent, yet, at this point, God is most glorified. The most God-like thing that God can do, he is doing by showing his grace by sending his son, by redeeming his people. I will glorify it, I will glorify it again. Now is, what does it say? Lost my place. Now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The cross, there is a particular emphasis on the cross as the place of God's glory. Let's close with that thought and let's sing together.